0: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with a barely awake Charles W. Chuck Bryant who's drowsy. I'm not drowsy. You look drowsy. Really?
0: Yeah, I look old. That's totally different. When you get to be forty you just you look drowsy all the time. It's <laughs> like Are you rested? Yeah. What I just it? woke
1: up. <laughs> Crud. Yeah. I got something to look forward to. It's all downhill, buddy. Uh, I'll tell you something that the prisoners in Florida's state penal system have something to look forward to. Spring softball? In addition to that. Okay. Buying honey buns at the commissary. Is that uh, is that the new guy on Sublux C? <laughs> you know what? I wrote about this and somebody had a, a funny comment like that, the honey buns joke. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> which is a really terrible joke it if is. you think about it. But um, no, uh, actual honey bun, you know, like the uh the pastry dessert. It's the best. Love it. Do you? It depends on which brand you're talking about. In my opinion, Krispy Kreme honey buns are pretty rocking. I've never tried one of those. Oh yeah, they're good. Are they frosted? Uh huh. Oh, I've got to try one of those. I had no <laughs> idea. Oh yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, the ones I'm talking about come in cellophane. Yeah. They're sold for about a buck or so um, in prison. So you know it's not the greatest brand on the planet, probably. Mm, Probably not. Um, And apparently in Florida, I think around the country, but in Florida in particular, they're like the new prison currency. Honey buns are.
0: Because it's a new uh, product that people just crave. No, it's
1: just been kind of quietly building up over time, and everybody's been making the cigarette joke for decades and didn't notice that actually tobacco. Is outsold in the in the Florida state penal system by honey buns. Wow! Uh-huh. Everybody loves a honey bun. Yeah. So are envelopes. They're like the number one seller. Really? In in state prisons, in the county in the county lockup, uh, freeze dried coffee and ramen noodles still outsell honey buns. But <laughs> if you're up if you're up the river in the state, yeah. pokey, yeah, yeah, honey buns are number one.
0: Wow! And then envelopes because people clearly uh, like to write their letters,
1: right? Yes. Seems or like they use envelopes as napkins for honey buns, uh, which is just <laughs> dumb. If you ask
0: me, it seems like they would give them envelopes. Come on, if these guys are going to take the time to write somebody, right? Give them an envelope. Y- no, you got to buy it.
1: Yeah, with <laughs> your thirty-five cents an hour making license plates. Anyway, Prison, Chuck, prison's so unfair. <laughs> <laughs> um, so these honey buns are—they're used as uh, bribes uh-huh. for protection. Um, they're used in exchange for, uh, other food items. Sure. Maybe some envelopes if you're running low. All right. They're used for bets as wagers. Really? Seriously. There's a really cool article in the St. Petersburg Times that was really well written about wow. it, right? But what these people are doing, let's say in the case of a bribe, let's say, um, Todd, the white collar criminal, who somehow ended up in a state prison, is paying Tiny, the ironically named huge guy, for protection in honey buns. What's going on there is bartering. Yeah. Todd is bartering a honey bun in exchange for uh, Tiny's service, protection. Right. Beating the tar out of guys who want to take Todd's honey buns.
0: Or he himself not doing that with his own cronies.
1: No, that's a racket. That's, that's not necessarily the same thing. Oh, yeah? Well, Still we, trading without money. I guess so. All right. Okay, so so we've finally reached the end of that god-awful intro, <laughs> and we're now talking about bartering, Chuck. Yep. Bartering, new or
0: old? Uh, old, baby. Oh, yeah? Old as the hills. Uh, the earliest civilizations, Josh, bartered for stuff because there was no currency uh, yeah. back in the day. So, I mean, you know, caveman, tuk tuk that we always talk about. Tuk tuk trades, uh, you know, animal pelt for, uh, spear. Okay. Made from rhino horn. Yeah. Because he's, he's like, I've never seen one of those, but I've got all these great pelts and you look a little cold. So let's work out a deal here.
1: Right. Partering. It is. And, uh, you're absolutely right. It is pretty old. Um, It really started to take off after we left our hunter-gatherer roots, though. Yeah, once we settled down into communities. Yeah, it made a lot more sense. Sure. um, You might be some sort of farmer and end up with a surplus. Yeah. Well, you've got all of the grain you need. Yeah. But you need some meat, too. Sure. And this guy over here has some pigs that have been looking pretty delicious lately. So you trade him some of your surplus grain for a pig, and the guy who has pigs gets some of your grain, and he has pigs you have Pigs and grain too. Everybody's happy. Yeah, Jerry thinks this whole thing is funny for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah I mean that's how it all started. I, I actually did a report in um, elementary school. We had to uh, social studies report where we had to devise a city of our own, like a town, and we had to construct, you know, how it all looked at and what they did. And I was the only kid who had a barter system instead of money. And oh, the very te- smart. The teacher thought at the time that that was very. You know, a very smart kid for doing that because mm-hmm. I was, you know, like nine years old.
1: Every once in a while, do you just kind of like drift off yeah. while you're taking a shower <laughs> thinking about the, the congratulations the teacher gave you that day? I do. That was my last one. <laughs> <laughs> congratulations, Chuck.
0: So it has stuck with me all these years, though, that it's funny that as a little kid, I thought bartering was kind of a cool system. Yeah and it and it, it was and it still is we'll find out
1: it, yeah um there's a there's a lot of cool maybe cool's not the right word i don't think cool is an economics term but there's uh it has a lot of um, benefits in that uh bartering generally doesn't lead to surplus right yeah it leads to um Basically, people just having what they need. Yeah, you're exchanging something you need or something you have that someone else needs for something that you need that they have. Right, and in most most cases, you don't want a whole lot of leftovers. You just kind of you have something that you're willing to exchange for something else. Everybody's seeking an even trade, so nobody's giving anybody a lot more than they need. Yeah. Or, you know, conversely, screwing the other person over and, and taking as much as possible. Sure. Because both parties have to be cool with it. Yeah. Right,
0: or there, or there's no trade.
1: So there's not a lot of surplus. Not a lot of surplus. To anyone who's read Jared Diamond's "The Greatest Mistake in the History of the Human Race," mm-hmm. uh, means that you don't necessarily have anybody who's in charge or has control over other people by controlling the surplus. Interesting. Very.
0: Well, uh, when bartering, Josh, it's uh, everything's relative, obviously, because if you need, if you live some place where it's cold and you need uh, more uh, shelter, mm-hmm. blankets, let's say, or whatever. Or let's modernize and say heater,
1: then that's going to be pretty valuable to you. Right. Um, what you're talking about is the relative value of yeah, an item, right? Exactly. So, like, in a money system, like, there's a fixed value mm-hmm. to the dollar, and it fluctuates. You know, there's inflation and deflation and stagflation, but ultimately, when you're coming to somebody with a dollar, you both have an agreed upon awareness of what that dollar's worth, which is a dollar. Yeah. Like, you were saying with a heater, Somebody who lives in a hot climate is going to value that thing less than somebody who lives in a cold climate. Absolutely. So the person in the cold climate would be willing to pay more or trade more for that it's relative value. It's the distinction between um, bartering and money. Yeah, one of them, Um, but the main one. It's my favorite.
0: (laughs) Uh, Timing is another big deal when it comes to bartering because depending on when this is happening and what your situation is, things can have a different value. Uh, The article used an example of Richard III, My Kingdom for a Horse. Yeah. When he was in a battle, uh, I was on a hike in Utah one time where I would have paid $1,000 for a bottle of Gatorade.
1: Right. Or a lift down the hill. No, I I wanted the Gatorade. (laughs) I was that hot and dehydrated. Wow. Yeah, it was bad. Did you, were you hospitalized?
0: No. No, we we hiked out and made it to the spot and bought like five Gatorades and drank them all.
1: Your urine was just chunky style for a little bit? (laughs) Yeah, it came out as little
0: pebbles. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, timing has a lot to do with the value of something, uh, as far as how much you might need that item.
1: Yeah, and Jane McGrath wrote this one. Oh, Jane, she did a good job too. Remember Jane?
0: Yeah. Let me ask you this: mm-hmm. What about when it's not just a one-to-one deal? Like you've got corn, and your friend uh, Ralph next to your farm has uh, cows, mm-hmm. but Ralph doesn't want corn; he wants yeah. wheat. But he's your like, buddy he's sick of your corn. Yeah, your buddy Pete has wheat. So you might, you can arrange a little, uh, three-way trade there if you're an innovative guy. And that's called a triangular barter. And NBA teams do this. Any sports team can, but it happens more in the NBA than anywhere else. Like oh, a three-team for like trade. Like draft picks and stuff? Well, just trading players. Like, you know, I want your center, uh, but you don't want my point guard, you want their forward, but I'll take their forward and package it in such a way that it's, it accommodates everybody.
1: Huh. So that's a triangular barter. Which so uh, you 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 are pointing something out in that it's not necessarily the most common thing in a barter economy where you have something that I need and I have something that you need at that moment too. That oh, well that's when it works because we talked about timing, yeah, and relative value, right? Yeah, that's one of the downsides of the barter, and it gets even more complex than a triangular barter. That's a lot of work, you know. That's a lot of walking. Yep, you know. Oh yeah. Um, if, if you find that third person, and so um. Ralph has that cow you want. Pete yeah. has wheat. You have corn, but Pete doesn't want your corn. You're going to have to go find somebody who wants your corn, who has something that Pete would want. So you got to so find a fourth trade, party. Yes, or more, which yeah. is called a multilateral trade. You can see it gets kind of convoluted as well. Oh, totally. You know? Well, uh,
0: and when it gets convoluted, there's a greater risk for making a bad deal just to get it over with, just because you really need that uh, cow. Yeah. And that's one of the, you know, we'll talk about the downsides. That's certainly one of them.
1: Yeah, well, Well, I think we kind of are.
0: Oh, are we already there?
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Well, that's one of the downsides is that
0: a lot of work goes into this, and in the end you might settle for less than a great deal because it's there's so much work involved.
1: Um, there's some other factors that might force you to settle for a poo-poo deal, and that is um, time works against you. Yeah. You remember we kind of used the example of – uh You with the Gatorade. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, Were you somebody who had something to trade for that Gatorade at that moment and somebody came along with Gatorade and gouged you? Say you had tomatoes to trade, (laughs) right? Yeah. You kind of need to trade your tomatoes because they're a perishable item. Yeah. So time is working against you. So you might take a bad trade just to get rid of these tomatoes, right?
0: Right. Or in the article example is is a great one. Let's say you're a craftsman. Mm -hmm. You build these great banquet tables. Banquet tables are big and heavy. Right. You go to trade for tomatoes because you really need those tomatoes. And the guy's like, Hey, you know, I mean, I'll give you 15 tomatoes. And the guy's like, no, this is worth like 300 tomatoes, but what are you going to do with 300 tomatoes? So it's you, when you don't have equal, you got a lot of small things. You have one large thing. Mm-hmm. You're kind of in trouble. I don't know if you picked the right business model. Yeah. As uh, a craftsman.
1: And even if you, even if you did take, uh, 300 tomatoes, you're gonna run around, you know, trying to trade those surplus tomatoes yeah. for, you know, um, other stuff you may or may not need, which when you could be building tables. You should be building tables. It's yeah. what you do.
0: <laughs> it's what you're good at. Yeah, exactly. So that's because you know bartering initially sounds like oh that's so great. You just trade things and mm-hmm. there's no money and money leads to badness. Mm-hmm. But it's not that simple. It's, it's it rare that you just find that perfect match and perfect timing to work out in a one to one trade.
1: Right and then establishing that that value considering that everything in a barter system has a relative value. Yeah. You know, there's as Jane put it, you know, comparing apples to oranges is still comparing, you know, fruit of roughly the same shape and size. Yeah, that's a bad saying. She yeah, she points out that it's a terrible saying. It's like the low man on the totem pole. Yeah,
0: I'm going to start saying uh, that's like comparing cows to table legs.
1: Exactly. People be like, what the heck are you talking about? You just be like, listen to the podcast. Yeah, exactly. So, Chuck, um, because our ancestors, our four people, um, ran into these problems where they couldn't figure out how many tomatoes equal the table, and when they did, it just was way too much. Sure. They got tired of lugging tables around. Um, they came up with something that we call money. Yeah, currency. And it solved a lot of problems. For all of its drawbacks and ills and evils, uh, money solved a lot of problems. Well, it's easier to carry money around than a table, mm-hmm. for one. Yeah. Think about how much a $100 bill weighs. Not much. Not very much. It sits heavy in my pocket, though, my friend. It burns mine. <laughs> it burns a hole. It can also be divided pretty easily. Sure. You know, a $101 bill still isn't as heavy as a table, right? Yeah.
0: Well, and it it levels the
1: playing field, like you said.
0: So then you don't have to compare uh, tomatoes to tables. It's uh, pretty easy. You just set your price. If people want to buy it, great. Then you've got your dough, and you can just buy your two tomatoes for dinner that night.
1: Yeah. Pretty cool. That's uh, that's money. I'm sensing something. Are you cool with this one? me? You like the barter system? No, it's fine. Which would you prefer, money or barter? Uh,
0: Well, I mean, as a nine-year-old, I thought bartering was kind of neat. Right. And I still like the concept of trading. Like, the, the musical instrument section on Craigslist is, is lousy with dudes. Like, I'll trade my Les Paul for your Martin acoustic.
1: Right. So you've, you've hit upon a, uh, the modern revival of bartering. It's all over the place, actually. Yeah. I think Craigslist has uh, an entire section uh, for each city. Dedicated to bartering specifically, right? Uh, or is it subsections in the... I don't know this. You know, I think Craigslist does have a section, but
0: on like the music instruments board, there's people trading just because gotcha. that's where they seek trades. Okay.
1: But um, there's whole sites dedicated just to bartering. Yeah.
0: And bartering services, that's got to be included. Yeah. Emily actually does that. D- I didn't know that. Yeah. She'll trade... Uh, she's been getting her hair done mm-hmm. uh, in exchange for soap. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, the craft scene, the indie craft scene, it's like, that's all they do is trade. Right. Like, you
1: know, I'll give you this kid's jumper for a bottle of lotion. And this is, uh, you know, bartering's pretty old, but a resurgence in bartering isn't new. Um, There was actually an explosion in the late 70s of barter clubs. Not to be confused with racquetball clubs or swingers clubs, which were both also huge <laughs> in the late 70s. Yeah. These were barter clubs. Really? Yeah, and they were around for a little while. Which... So people meet and swap things? Um, I think it was mail order. Oh. Yeah. Okay. But when you take a look at these clubs then and today, what you described Emily doing is, is pure bartering. Right. Um, but, you know, one of the big limitations of bartering, well, two of the big limitations are uh, geographic boundaries. Yeah. Right. Which sure. which the internet overcomes because you know some guy in Tacoma has something you need and is willing to ship it, and yeah. then you have something he needs. Geographic boundaries gone, right? Done. But the timing thing is still a problem. So what uh, barter clubs and barter websites have come up with is um, if if the person doesn't have anything to give you right then, they can trade you in credits. Yeah, I didn't know that was going on. That's kind of cool. That's money. Uh, yeah, in a way. No, that's currency. That's it. Think about a dollar bill. It's a, it's a credit. It's a promissory note. It doesn't hold any inherent value. Yeah, but only within that network is it currency.
0: Like, it's not like you can take those credits out to McDonald's. They'll say no, totally, you
1: can't. But it's still currency. Yeah, yeah, sure. Right. So, like within that barter network, it's still they're still using currency. It's just so difficult to get past, you know, the necessity for currency. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, It's, it's a big sham then. Just kidding. You were talking about the craft scene being like huge in uh, bartering, right? Oh, they love it. Marketing is as well. Like business barters way more than I ever realized. Yeah, sure. I, I have a stat for you, if I may. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in 2008, North American companies—not even internationally, but North American companies—bartered 12 billion dollars in goods and services. Wow. Yeah, and uh, apparently that was partially a result of the recession because in 2001 they did like $7.75 billion. Wow. But still it's a substantial amount of stuff that was traded uh, either in the form of goods or services, yeah. right? Yeah, people striking a deal like uh, Chico's Bail
0: Bonds will sponsor your baseball team nice. and they'll pay for your jerseys if you put Chico's Bail Bonds on the back. Yes,
1: which or you will eventually.
0: In the case of the Yankees, do you, do you remember who their sponsor was in Bad News Bears? Denny's. Was it really? Yeah, I just saw it the other day. And I went, huh,
1: Denny's. They were a high-profile team. Oh, well, they got a high-profile sponsor. Um, we were talking about the recession um, accounting for an increase among businesses. Mm-hmm. One of the great things about bartering is you it saves your cash to pay down debt or to keep workers on the payroll. Or yeah, you, cash flow is always good for business. Yeah. Um, so that's why corporations do it. Uh, people do it in times of crisis, which was the case- well, it's part of the case right now, there's been a huge resurgence in um consumer bartering, right? Uh, because of the economy? Yeah. But um in Argentina in I think two thousand eight, two thousand nine, their economy was really in shambles and there were bartering clubs everywhere.
0: Well yeah, and in, in places where there's natural disasters, a lot of times the first thing they will turn to is bartering, at least in a in a temporary sense, till they can kind of get things restored. Yeah. Because,
1: I don't know, the end of the world, what's what's that dollar bill going to do for you? You know, I read almost the, that same phrase on a uh, post-collapse blog, a survival blog. Really? And the guy was rambling off um, that was items me. that'll be good for bartering. <laughs> that was me. Dollar bill is not among them. No, of course not. No. Uh,
0: IRS, Josh, let's, let's talk about that. Because if you think, hey, this is a great way to skirt taxes, I can trade my haircut for my... Homemade soap mm-hmm. all day long. Yeah. Am I outing myself now? Is IRS going to audit us now?
1: Yeah. Because, you know, you're supposed to report this stuff. Yeah. Um, those barter clubs from the late 70s actually ruined it for everybody. Um, it, time was. You could barter everything and not pay a cent of taxes on it. Uh, but the barter club, that the artificial economy created by the barter clubs, reached about an estimated $200 million dollars. Um, in size, and the IRS went. Uh, we want some of that. Yeah, of course they did. So they uh, they reformed the tax code in 1980 and came up with uh, the 1099B form, proceeds from broker and barter exchange transactions. Yeah. And if you're bartering, you have to both parties have to fill one of these out. I know. Create like a uh, an estimated market value of the goods or services and pay it. I know. Pay. Every You know when Emily first brought that form home, filled it
0: out, I went, "What is this? Yet another form." She said, "Yeah, you can't trade. You got to pay the
1: piper." Yeah. And the piper is the IRS.
0: Yeah. It certainly is, Josh. Uh but that's not necessarily well, that that's a bad thing. But the IRS, you can also write stuff off that you you have traded. Yeah. So it goes the other way a little bit, too. Mhm. And we would be remiss to not mention that.
1: Yeah, um you you can write off as an expense something you trade because yeah. its value and it's lost and you didn't get any money for it which is how the tax system's set up. Yeah. If you're not getting any money for it it's different than stuff that you're getting money for.
0: Well, and they point out that if you get one of those trade credits, you could donate that trade credit to a uh, a charity and write that off right. if that charity will accept a trade credit. Yeah. I never heard of these trade credits. So I got to look into that. It's money. <laughs> I mean, is it a point value they assign? I wonder. Uh Yeah, there's. Or uh, do they actually say it's worth this many dollars? One,
1: well, one that I I came across, Dib Space, um, has something called dibbits and their trade credits. That's cute. Money. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And there <laughs> were one dibbit's worth a dollar. So it's money based on money in a bartering network.
0: Well, money. Did we ever say that money inflation? That's one of the the downsides of of currency.
1: Hmm. Okay. We didn't say it, but go ahead.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, that's the big deal. Like you buy a, a, a peck a bushel of peaches one year for 10 bucks, and the next year that might buy you 10 peaches. That's the downside to money. Although, I suppose that could happen bartering, too. They could just say, rough peach crop this year. Now I'll only trade you this many for your cow.
1: Sure. Yeah. That, I would think relative value would be affected by supply and demand. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I would think... It it wouldn't happen on such a widespread level, though. I mean, think about how many people are affected by the dollar bill and its fluctuations, right? Yeah. Think about how many people are affected by a local peach crop. True. And that's actually one of the things that barter systems are um, so appealing to people these days. There's such a movement toward local economies. A barter system can't be sustained by a country of 300 million people. No. So basically everybody has to split up. Yeah. Yeah. I read an essay about how um, secessionism could save the US and that if we don't break up, we're in big trouble. Really? Yeah, that any uh, any non-authoritarian system of government can't be sustained or adequately administered in populations over, I think, either 3 million or 30 million. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It was in the Otney Reader last month. Oh, ch- I get that. I'll have to check that out. It was the one with Marge Simpson as Rosie the Riveter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I'll check that out. So are we done? I'm done. You got anything else? That's it for me. Uh, if you want to hear mention of Kyle McDonald, the kid we mentioned in the house swapping podcast, a little prematurely, I guess, uh, who traded a paperclip for a house. Yeah, he had to pay taxes on that. He had to have. I'm sure. I hope so. Yeah. If maybe Corbin Burnson paid one. of <laughs> If you want to see a picture of that kid, you can type in barter at the search bar at howstuffworks.com. And that brings up, of course, listener Josh, I'm going to call this uh, one of two eventual
0: mafia letters that we got. We got very many. Who
1: knew? By letters, Chuck means broken thumbs.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's in little boxes. Yeah, who knew? So many people are connected to the mafia. A lot of people had stories to tell. Yeah,
1: I think it's also like saying, like, who's Na- who has Native American, you know?
0: Yeah, I do a little bit, I think. <laughs> Uh, so uh, we're going to read two of those, uh, one of them right now and one on the following episode. And this is from Calvin. And this is pretty interesting.
1: Calvin the Mafioso? Uh,
0: yeah, Calvin the Mafioso. I just uh, listened to the episode about the Mafia, and I have a couple of things to say. Firstly, I am grossly disappointed in both Josh and Chuck for talking about a Joe Valici and not once mentioning the greatest Simpson episode ever,
1: Homie the Clown. I was disappointed about this one,
0: too. Yeah, in which Homer, uh, disguised as Krusty, gets captured by Fat Tony. Mm-hmm. and the Springfield family and tried to convince them that he is all different kinds of people, Joe Valachi being one of them. Mm-hmm. I didn't make that connection.
1: I remember he's like, I'm I'm not Homer, I'm Joe Valachi. He goes, Joe Valachi the rat? And he's like, no, <laughs> something like that.
0: Uh, he said if you did mention it, then shame on the editor, Jerry, for removing it. So let's just go with that. Yeah, let's go with that one. Jerry, Shame it. on you, Jerry. <laughs> Boo. Yes. His- Also, I thought you guys would be interested to hear some hypotheses about why it is called the Mafia. Uh, One says that during the war of the Sicilian Vespers, a woman found her daughter at the Vespers being raped by French soldiers and then ran through the streets shouting, Mafia, Mafia, which is a dialectical translation of my daughter, my my daughter, Mafia. Did the mafia come to her rescue, or what? I don't know. That's just what he says. Sicilian.
1: Okay.
0: I mean, I don't think he's making this up. It's a theory. Uh, the, I'm sorry, a hypothesis. The second <laughs> hypothesis is also a remnant of the occupation of Sicily by the French. The word mafia might be an anagram for morta alla Francia Italia Enele, which translates into something like Italy longs for the death of France.
1: Yeah. M-A-F-I-A. Huh. I don't know about that, but they both sound pretty plausible to me. So I guess the word mafia doesn't mean anything. It's not a family name or anything like that? I don't
0: know. Huh. I never really thought about the origin of the name. We didn't cover that. No. So these know. are two hypotheses from Calvin. He says uh, both of these came from a book called The Secret Society's Handbook by Michael Bradley. It might be complete baloney because I'm not sure how reliable that book is, but it sure is interesting. I thought you might like it.
1: Very cool. Thank you. Who was that? Calvin. Calvin the Mafioso. Of course. Thank you, Calvin the Mafioso, for writing in. And um, we want to hear from you guys, too. So uh, we would urge you to send us an email if you have something to trade. We want to hear about it. Wrap it up, spank it on the bottom, and send it to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com.